Welcome to the Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 14, is a little less conflicted than yesterday's was, that's for certain. So we're going to continue with the story of what happens with Absalom, the son of David. Now, Joab, the son of Zariah, knew that the king's heart went out to Absalom. And Joab sent to Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning garments. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but behave like a woman who has been mourning many days for the dead. Go to the king and speak thus to him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. When the woman of Tekoa came to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and paid homage and said, Save me, O king. And the king said to her, What is your trouble? She answered, Alas, I am a widow, my husband is dead, and your servant had two sons, and they quarreled with one another in the field. There was no one to separate them, and one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole clan has risen against your servant, and they say, Give up the man who struck his brother, that we may put him to death for the life of his brother whom he killed. And so they would destroy the heir also. Thus they would quench my coal that is left, and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the face of the earth. Then the king said to the woman, Go to your house, and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, On me be the guilt, my lord the king, and on my father's house. Let the king and his throne be guiltless. The king said, If anyone says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall never touch you again. Then she said, Please, let the king invoke Yahweh your God, that the avenger of blood kill no more, and my son not be destroyed. He said, As Yahweh lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. Then the woman said, Please let your servant speak a word to my lord the king. He said, Speak. And the woman said, Why then have you planned such a thing against the people of God? For in giving this decision the king convicts himself, inasmuch as the king does not bring his banished one home again. We must all die. We are like water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. But God will not take away life, and he devises means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. Now I have come to say this to my lord the king, because the people have made me afraid. And your servant thought, I will speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his servant. For the king will hear and deliver his servant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the heritage of God. And your servant thought, The word of my lord the king will set me at rest. For my lord the king is like the angel of God to discern good and evil. Yahweh your God be with you. Then the king answered the woman, Do not hide from me anything I ask you. And the woman said, Let my lord the king speak. The king said, Is the hand of Joab with you in all this? And the woman answered and said, As surely as you live, my lord the king, one cannot turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that my lord the king has said. It was your servant Joab who commanded me. It was he who put all these words in the mouth of your servant. In order to change the course of things, your servant Joab did this. But my Lord has wisdom, like the wisdom of the angel of God, to know all things that are on the earth. Then the king said to Joab, Behold now, I grant this. Go, bring back the young man Absalom. 
And Joab fell on his face to the ground and paid homage and blessed the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord the king, and that the king has granted the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him dwell apart in his own house. He is not to come into my presence. So Absalom lived apart in his own house and did not come into the king's presence. Now in all Israel there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head, for at the end of every year he used to cut it, when it was heavy on him, he cut it. He weighed the hair of his head two hundred shekels by the king's weight. There were born to Absalom three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a beautiful woman. So Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem without coming into the king's presence. Then Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but Joab would not come to him. And he sent a second time, but Joab would not come. Then he, sent, then he said to his servants, See, Joab's field is next to mine, and he has barley there. Go, set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and went to Absalom at his house and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? Absalom answered, Joab, behold, I sent you word to you. Come here that I may send you to the king to ask, Why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me to still be there. Now therefore let me go into the presence of the king, and if there is guilt in me, let him put me to death. Then Joab went to the king and told him, and he summoned Absalom, so he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. This is the word of the Lord. Really, the the key thing that you can take away in this text for your family is the conversation around what is forgiveness. What does it actually mean to forgive someone? So be prepared to have that conversation today as a family. Um, we're going to see more plotting here in this chapter, both by Joab and by Absalom. Um, Absalom's plot was right at the end. Uh, We'll get to that later. But for now, Joab's plot at the beginning is to get King David to let Absalom return home. Um, We don't get the reasoning why Joab wants to have Absalom home again, but he does, and he makes this request. Uh, he, He makes this plot for this woman to to deceive the king as she does. There is some similarity here to Nathan in chapter 12, who spoke the word of the Lord and and had that story about the sheep that he sold to David, and David responded. When David convicted the man in the story, Nathan turned it around on him and said, this is you. In the same way, this woman here is going to bring about the king's conviction on the, the story and then flip that on him and say, that's you. So there is that parallel, without a doubt. However, Nathan's came from the Lord and was more like a parable. This woman is putting on an act. She's performing. She's deceiving the king. She's lying to the king. Her son hasn't been killed. That's not the situation here whatsoever. Um, it, It has been made to deceive. So they are different in that regard. The one came from God and the other came from the sinfulness of man. It is interesting in verse 11, then, knowing that she's telling this lie, 
that she tells the king to invoke Yahweh his God. Invoke Yahweh in the midst of a lie. That's dangerous business right there. In verse 14... God will not take away life. He devises means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. This is a great spot for a conversation as a family. As Old Testament prophecy normally goes, there's the present meaning and there's also a future meaning in Christ. So it is here, even though this isn't really a prophecy. Uh, but there's a present meaning to what she says, uh, that God will not take away the life of Absalom but instead has devised a means for him to come home. That is true also of all of us. So ask your children, how has God, how has God devised, how has God planned to bring you home? We are outcasts. We have been banished because of our sin. We could not come into the presence of God and live. But now we can. And that's going to come up in a couple of paragraphs as well. So we'll leave that for thought for now, but we'll come back to it. We will cover that. Interesting to note from the woman in verse 17 and in verse 20. She says that her Lord, the king, is like the angel of God. The angel of God in the Old Testament. The angel of Yahweh. When we read that, we usually end up making a connection to the pre-incarnate Christ. That is, Jesus Christ, before he took on flesh, at the time of the incarnation, when Gabriel, the angel, announced his, his conception, really, to Mary. There's some really good and strong and positive texts for that, such as the burning bush in Exodus 3, and there are others as well. It's not the angel of Yahweh here, though. It's the angel of God. But it's it could well still be the same thing. If she is comparing him to the pre-incarnate Christ, that's an incredible thing to think about. What kind of a faith that is that she has as she trusts and waits for the, the Messiah to come. But even if it's not a faith statement of hers, we can look at it in hindsight and we can see this and we can also make the connection of David and Jesus, as Paul does, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15, my Lord said to my Lord, uh, speaking of David, David wasn't speaking of himself, but of the, the Christ who was to come through him. That's a quote from the Psalms. Um, so this connection of David and Jesus, very much so. Jesus is the one who would sit on David's throne forever. David saw right through it. Once once she had admitted that this was made up, he saw right through it and knew exactly who had done this, that it was Joab's doing. But it worked. Verse 21, Behold, now I grant this. As we come to verse 24, David says, Let him dwell apart in his own house. He is not to come into my presence. So Absalom gets to come home. He gets to leave Gesher behind and come back into Jerusalem. But he's still separated from his father. This is the question to ask the children. Has David 
forgiven Absalom. And another way to think this through and to think through forgiveness when we're in a situation with one another, maybe it's a fight that we've had in the family and we're supposed to forgive one another and we begrudgingly say, I forgive you. How do you know if you've actually forgiven someone? When you look at them, how you see them, what you're thinking about them in that moment when you look at them, is that how you want Jesus to look at you? That might be a really helpful way to think through forgiveness. How do we want Jesus to look at us? How do we want him to see us? And that's how he wants us to see others. And we pray this in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are told to forgive as Christ forgives. And so the question in this text, in verse 24 then, as we connect this to ourselves, is David the king won't let Absalom back into his own house, into his own presence. Can we come into the presence of God? And the answer to that is yes, we can, and yes, we do. God, through his son Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, has made open the heavenly gate. You can come into the very presence of God and live. And not only that, but you do already. That's what the Lord's Supper gives to you. You are in God's presence. You are in his house. You are receiving his body and blood upon your lips for you. And when judgment day comes and Christ calls you into the heavenly throne room, you get to be with him forevermore. And this is this wonderful thing. You are, you are fully restored. This restoration of David to Absalom, this is, this is partial. This is hollow. It's empty. It's not full forgiveness. He has not actually forgiven Absalom. They are not restored. They are not reconciled to one another. And that is what forgiveness does. So that's the the conversation truly in this text that we can bring about as a family together. Uh, Verse 25 says that there was no one in Israel as handsome as Absalom. Uh, That's quite high praise for his physical stature. It's been said of Saul back in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, And then in the next sentence, we see that there is no blemish in him from his head to toe. And physically flawless. I don't know. This is probably like the pictures of those men that you see on the cover of romance novels that we probably shouldn't be reading as a culture, a Christian family. But uh, a picture that I think most of most adults have at least seen. He may be physically flawless, but we're going to see his rebellion against the king at just a couple chapters worth of time here. Now, as we think this one through a little bit more, uh, just a note on verse 26. 200 shekels is the weight of his hair every year. That would be the equivalent of about five pounds if I did my math right. Can you imagine cutting off five pounds worth of hair? That's quite a bit. Um, he has a daughter named Tamar, so he named his daughter after his sister. She is described as being beautiful as well. 
Verse 28, he lives two full years in Jerusalem without seeing his father. Two years. This makes it five years because he was in Gesher for three. Five years since he murdered Amnon, his brother. Joab refuses to come to him, so he plots to make Joab come. He sets his field on fire. This is, once again, Absalom has just told his his servants to do something sinful, and they did it. To burn down another man's field. It doesn't matter what your king's got in mind here. To burn down another man's field is sinful. You're destroying his family's income. That's not a good thing to do. And yet they do it anyway. And it worked. Joab comes. Restoration is had in verse 33. Absalom finally comes before David. David kisses his son. And in theory, at least, the two of them are reconciled. When we get to chapter 15 tomorrow, that's not going to seem like it's true anymore.